Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us by your spirit. Uh, Do that again now, Lord. Pour out your spirit on us. Help us sense your voice and your presence. Help us turn to you. Help us grow in you. Help us receive everything that you have uh, for us from your word. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. And uh, to the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. We're grateful for you, for all you have done, for all that you're doing, uh, and just thankful for your investment in our children. Again, again, mindful that Mother's Day can bring up all sorts of feelings depending on our circumstances in life. Um, and for you moms, we appreciate you. Uh, today we continue a sermon series called Following Jesus, and the series is meant to unpack the implications of Easter for us. Because, you know, Easter is about seeing Jesus as he is now, the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe. And when we see Jesus as he is now, that has implications for us. We can't just move on with life as normal once we've come to understand who Jesus is. And in that sense, this series is an invitation to those who know Christ and have put their faith in him to go farther with the Lord, to go deeper. And, and thus we're thinking about the implications of Easter. And this is an eight-week series, and, and every week is intended to kind of build on the others, and they all fit together to hopefully paint a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus according to the Bible. So implications of Easter. First, when we become Christians, we get a new life. We don't just get a new religion or a spiritual perspective or something like that. The Bible's clear on this. Anyone who is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Or the passage we looked at from Colossians on the first week of this series, since then you have been raised with Christ. You were dead, now you're alive to a new life. This is the first and most important piece of following Jesus, understanding that we have new life in Christ. Second, our new life is to look increasingly like Jesus' life. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, says the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. As Christians, we don't just think well of Jesus, we follow Jesus. And following Jesus means becoming like Jesus. So we're called to be like Jesus in both his character and his competencies. And third, through Jesus, our true identity as children of God is restored to us And we can live in relationship with God just like Jesus did. And this is the foundation of what the Bible calls the peace that passes understanding. And and all of the the kind of biblical descriptions of joy and freedom and confidence that that people find when they place their trust in Christ. I mean, we're, we're restored in our relationship with God and we come back to our own identity through that identity-producing relationship with God. So we've got new life. It's supposed to look like Jesus, and our real identity has been restored in Jesus as the children of God we are. Now, last week I mentioned uh, the two big questions in life with which everyone struggles at some point, right? Who am I and why am I here? Just very foundational questions of, of identity and purpose. Last week was about identity, who am I? God tells us that. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. When we are in Christ, this is our identity in Jesus. 
And today we focus on the why am I here question. And this sermon is titled Purpose from Jesus. We have identity in Jesus and we receive purpose from Jesus. So we've listened to the scripture from 2 Corinthians and it describes our purpose, but I want to begin by going back to identity. Now last week was about identity. Identity and purpose are different things, but they are connected. They're they're much like two sides of the same coin. Last week we started with that that idea that uh, we live in a culture that's suffering a massive identity crisis. And likewise, we live in a culture suffering a massive crisis of meaning or, or purpose. I mean, think for a second about all the ways we see people clamoring to answer that basic question, why am I here? What meaning does my life have? You know, these, this, is a, this is a critical question. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist who lived during World War II. He was also Jewish, and like many other Jewish people living in Germany and Austria, he was rounded up by the Germans and sent off to a concentration camp. Uh, Unlike many others, he survived that experience and later wrote a book about it, a now famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's a hard book to read, but it is important. He describes his observations of life in the concentration camp and how different people adapted or did not adapt to that kind of horrific, demeaning experience. What he observed led him to conclude that a sense of meaning in one's life was critical for survival. He described what he witnessed in the concentration camp. He watched people who could find no meaning in life just give up emotionally and spiritually. And because they were already so frail physically, often they would die. And he also witnessed starving people taking the little scrap of bread they received for the day, dividing it in two, and sharing half with someone else. In short, People who had some sense of meaning lived, and those who didn't died. I mean, the concentration camps, as we know, were horrific and evil and unthinkable. And and they revealed something very important. When all positive distractions in life are removed, human beings are left with an unavoidable question. Why am I here? Really now? Not just a philosophical idea to kick around with some friends. Is there meaning and purpose to my life? Am I here for a reason? Was I made for more than just experiencing life and then dying? Now, one of the great problems with our culture is that there are so many distractions. I mean, the many, many distractions of an affluent culture that allow us to continue anesthetizing uh, our, 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 our heartache over this question. I so remember a conversation I had with a friend of mine years ago. I was an, a new follower of Jesus and was sharing with him. He was a bit older than me, and I was sharing with him what I had found and we were just having a conversation about faith and 
the, the conversation went on, but it concluded with my friend saying something like this. You know, I just can't believe there's a greater purpose to my life. So I've decided to go for the gold. And I, I just remember the feeling I had inside. Like, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it. Is that it? Go for the gold? Like, really? You just said out loud that your, your primary purpose in life is to make money with the assumption that that will make you happy. I mean, haven't we learned that that's not true? <laughs> right? I mean, just ask any wealthy person. It might make life a little easier, but wealth does not make you happy. I mean, is, is my purpose to climb the corporate ladder? Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with advancing one's career, taking on new challenges, contributing to others through your job, understanding it to be the vocation to which God has called you. All that is great, good stuff. But if my ultimate purpose is career advancement, then the very natural and predictable outcome is disappointment. Because at some point, I'll either reach the top or my limit from where I can advance no more. Is is my purpose just to enjoy life? This is a common theme in our culture. Should we take the hedonistic approach? You know, if it feels good, if it brings me happiness, then do it. The Bible references that approach to life. If If there's nothing more to life, then certainly let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And that raises a good point too. How does death factor into all of this? Doesn't death get the final word? rendering all imagined purpose in life ultimately meaningless? Leo Tolstoy, the famous Russian author, struggled with that question. He put it this way, what meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? I submit that, that all of this struggle with meaning that we see in our culture today, all this struggle to craft some sense of purpose is a visible outworking of the fundamental problem faced by human beings, our separation with God. I'm I'm sorry, our separation from God. If that's sounding familiar, it's because I said the exact same thing last week with regard to identity issues. Both of these things, our identity and purpose, emerge from our relationship with God. So the problem, the, 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 the real issue is not our experience of crisis around identity or our struggle with meaning and purpose in life. The real issue, the real problem is a brokenness in our relationship with God. And people have experienced this truth over the centuries and expressed it in all sorts of ways. One of the most famous is Augustine's line, our hearts will be restless, Lord, until they find their rest in you. That that doesn't mean that we all need a spiritual side to our lives. It means that our whole life, everything about us will be restless, will struggle with identity and purpose, the big questions of life, until we are reconciled with God by grace and through faith in Jesus. Now, in saying that, I'm not trying to manipulate. This is, this is simply what Christians believe. And I believe it to be a statement of truth. Now, let let me unpack how struggle with purpose is connected to our relationship with God. Uh, Again, our church family uh, remembers back to January and February when we did a series called The Essentials. I mentioned that last week, and 
you know, big beliefs that unite all Christians under a common faith umbrella. And one of the messages in that series was on humanity, focused on the basic teaching of the Bible about human beings. We looked at Genesis 1.27, which says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. You know, every, every human being is the same and that we all bear God's image and, and are worthy of dignity and respect for that reason alone. Every single person everywhere. Every human being is different and that we were created either male or female. This is, this is just kind of Christian theology 101 for creation. Similarity and distinctiveness in creation. But the next verse goes on to talk uh, about meaning and purpose in life. So if this verse 27 is about identity, then verse 28 is about purpose. Let me read it for you. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created human beings with a purpose. God gave and gives human beings an assignment, a task, a mission, a calling. And we were hardwired to experience meaning and a sense of purpose as we fulfill that calling because it's what we were created to do. Now, now the words subdue the earth and rule over the animals have been misunderstood over the years um, by some to mean that human beings get to do whatever they want and can misuse uh, you know, God's creation. That's just not the case. This is a calling to be God's agents on earth, God's stewards, you know, caring for and tending the earth as God would himself. Caring for and tending the animals and, and, and the resources of the world as God would himself. Caring about and giving gracious leadership to the whole earth as God would himself. I mean, this is the fundamental truth of creation uh, and it's the foundation of a Christian's greater calling to stewardship. Not just financial stewardship. That's what we normally think of when somebody talks about stewardship. It is the basis of that too. That we're called to be God's agents in the world. But we're called to, to be uh, environmental stewards, relational stewards, emotional stewards. I mean, across the entire spectrum of life, human beings were created to care for the resources God gave us and to invest them wisely to advance God's purposes in the world. And whenever we're doing something different than that, I, I believe we feel the, the misalignment, uh, you know, that we're, that we're off track a little bit and, and we struggle with meaning and purpose. See, God created us for relationship with him and he called us to rule creation on his behalf as he would. Or in the words of one author, we were created to be God's fruitful representatives, making sure his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But there was a problem. Adam and Eve, the fall, the onset of separation between human beings and God, broken relationship. And in that breaking, we lost not just our sense of identity, but our sense of purpose. And we've been on the hunt for meaning and purpose ever since. So purpose lost. But God didn't give up on us. You know, right after the fall, we see God's invitation uh, uh, to us back into relationship with him. And I talked about that quite a bit last week. I won't repeat myself, but 
God, through the new covenant, invites us back into relationship with him. In the fall, Adam and Eve forfeited their role as God's representatives on earth when they decided to go their own way and do their own thing. Now, way back when God made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah, he included a purpose in that covenant. Let me read it to you again. This is what God said. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is, this is God's call to his people to be a blessing. You know, it, it's a bit of foreshadowing here. The new covenant would emerge through Abraham and Sarah's descendants. And God's intent is that everyone everywhere would be blessed through that by those people. You know, after the fall, our mission and calling from God changed a bit. It's, it's not just being fruitful and multiplying. It's not just tending to the earth. Uh, it's about joining God in his effort to reclaim every person everywhere for the kingdom of God. To see every person everywhere become a willing worshiper of Jesus. Jesus reiterates this in the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, the, the Greek there for all nations is, is panta ta ethne, all the nations, literally everyone everywhere. And this, this really points to God's heart, which by the way, the, the Bible states very clearly in 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 4, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that everyone everywhere would be restored to their, uh, uh, their created relationship with him by his grace and through faith in Jesus, that we all might relate to God as Jesus did and live in the freedom and joy and confidence of that and join God in this great reclamation project that's inviting everybody everywhere to come home, come back home to God. And that's, that's really it. And the whole Bible is about God inviting us back into relationship with him. And in that relationship, we are restored to our true identity and to our role as God's representatives on earth. I mean, it's the scripture we read this morning, right, from 2 Corinthians. Here's what Paul wrote again. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God gave us all Christians everywhere, the ministry of reconciliation. Our purpose from Jesus is to function as his ambassadors on earth, quote, as though God were making his appeal through us. And that appeal is the invitation back into relationship with God by God's grace and through faith in Jesus. So we lost our purpose in the fall because we lost the relationship upon which meaning and purpose in life is based purpose lost. The whole Bible is about God inviting us back into that relationship 
upon which our identity is based and in which God calls us back to our original mission to be God's agents in the world advancing God's purposes in the world. We're invited back. And now by grace and through faith in Jesus, we become co-workers again with God in the world, agents and representatives of the kingdom of God. Purpose restored. And what a restoration of purpose it is. Oh my, you want to talk about meaning in life. An ambassador of Christ. I mean, think of that. In the United States, an ambassador from our country speaks to other global leaders on behalf of the president with the authority of the president. That's what being an ambassador is all about. You speak with the authority of the one who sent you. An ambassador of Christ speaks to other people on behalf of the king of the universe with authority granted you by the king of the universe. I'm not making this stuff up, right? It's right in the pages of the Bible. This is what Christians believe. And and again, Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to represent God by carrying out his will on earth. Look Look at what Jesus said. This is John chapter five, verse 19. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus' purpose was to do God's will on earth. And while on earth, Jesus was God-like. You know, he, he did only what he saw the father doing. Because what the father does, the son also did. Following Jesus for us means being Christ-like. As we become more like Jesus, we represent Jesus to the world more accurately. Just as Jesus represented God to the world. And again, this isn't taking on just the character of Christ. We're not talking just about our behavior. Becoming Christ-like does mean that but it also includes growing in the, in the competencies of Christ, doing the things that Jesus did. Uh, again, one of my, my favorite uh, quotes for kind of Christian spiritual life is from Dallas Willard, and he made this very simple observation. Uh, he wrote uh, something very close to this. Our lives don't look like Jesus' life because we don't do the things that Jesus did. I mean, there's a... There's a very simple logic to that. Now, now to close out this, uh, this message, let's go back to the idea that identity and purpose are two sides of the same coin. They really are because they are both based on our relationship with God. When there's separation in our relationship with God, we will struggle with both identity and purpose. We'll struggle to answer those questions. Who am I and why am I here? Where there's closeness in our relationship with God, uh, where where we're uh, growing in our faith, where we're trusting that Jesus really was who he claimed to be and that he actually accomplished what he said he came to do, which was to make people right again with God. You know, this... This needs to move in our heads from, you know, Sunday school content that, that we just learned and, and it resides in us informationally to 
the deepest kind of relational truth, the, the, the best explanation of what's really happening in the world right now, this is it. God is making people right with himself again in Christ. There's a there's whole new life available in Jesus for people. And when we're, when we're stepping into that, when we've trusted Christ, and when there's a, a closeness in our relationship, none of us are perfect, right? We all fail. I'm not saying anybody has to be perfect. But when there's, when there's a closeness in our relationship with God, when we're seeking the Lord, in an increasing way, we can rest in our received identity. You know, we can actually believe what the Bible says that we are God's kids, that God loves us and is well pleased with us because of what Jesus has done for us. We can rest in our received identity and reclaim our kingdom purpose, which is not to be a weird ambassador of Christ in the world, but but a faithful, consistent, representative of Jesus in the world in which we live. You know, one's relationship with God produces identity and purpose in life. So if you want to know where to start, don't start with trying to figure out who you are. And don't start with trying to answer the question, why am I here? Start by seeking God wholeheartedly. Launch yourself into that. Because it's only in that reconciled relationship with God where we will find our true identity and our true purpose in life. You know, these issues of identity and purpose were never meant to be separate ideas. Uh, You can really think about this along the lines of the two big themes of the Bible, covenant and kingdom. Covenant identity and kingdom purpose go hand in hand, always. Relationship with God and representing God in a broken world. All of this goes together. In fact, all eight weeks of this series, again, are intended to fit together to help us see what the Bible says about following Jesus. And gladly, Jesus gave us a real simple way to remember some of this. He, he, he ties these themes together, many of them, in the Lord's Prayer. And I believe it's why he taught us to pray this. Remember, remember what, he, what he said when you pray? Say, our Father in heaven. Well, there's identity right there. Our Abba, our, our Daddy in heaven. The, the, the prayer that Jesus taught us begins with us reminding ourselves of our identity as children of God, that we can call God Daddy, that he loves us and is pleased with us because Christ didn't just forgive us of what we've done wrong, He gave us his perfect righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And thus we can really believe what God says to us. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next comes reminding ourselves of the great mission in the world. Uh, Hallowed be your name is is praying. May your name be worshipped by everyone everywhere, God. This is what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's our kingdom purpose. Right? Identity, our Father in heaven. Uh, goal, hallowed be thy name. 
purpose. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am a kingdom representative. That's my purpose in life as a follower of Jesus. Covenant identity and kingdom purpose go hand in hand in following Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please. God, you are good. We, we struggle and we flail and we look at ourselves and wonder how you could possibly love us. And through it all, you are good. And we simply receive by faith those great truths the scripture teach. Um, we, we remember that while we were in the midst of our sin, you died for us. While we were most offensive to you, you leaned in. You came down that first Christmas long ago. You came to where we are for the purpose of rescuing us and restoring us to a relationship with you. God, thank you. You are good. Please pour out your spirit on us. Help us uh, believe what you have said about who we are and what our purpose is in this life. And help us to seek you in those things now and always. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.